Hello and welcome to this podcast for CPD Online. My name is Jen Powell and I'm a higher trainee in general adult psychiatry and I'm the trainee editor. Today I am joined by two fantastic experts, Dr. Amit Mystery and Dr. Lynn Drummond, and we are going to be talking about exercise in relation to mental health. To start off, could you both maybe tell me a bit about yourselves and a bit about how you became interested in this topic? My name's Lynn Drummond and I have been a consultant in OCD and BDD since 1985. I work very pragmatically with a lot of my patients with profound OCD and over the years it became increasingly clear to me that quite a number of them needed to get out, to get out and about and they were putting on weight. As psychiatrists we prescribe drugs that encourages them to put on weight. A lot of them go on to get the metabolic syndrome. A lot of our patients are in the lower social classes, if you call it that way, and poor income, poorer social classes. And they're not having um, access to all the things to keep people healthy. And we're adding to that. And what we're often not doing is encouraging them to get out and about. On the other side, of course, I myself was a keen walker, I'm a keen marathon runner, cyclist and swimmer and I know how much joy and how much um, de-stressing that does for me and I was then very interested to see the research that, that it has been done into the benefits of exercise in mental health and that led me to think how can we actually get our mental health workers more actively involved in that? Great, thank you. And Dr Mystery? Yes, my name's Amit Mystery. I'm the Chair-Elect of the Royal College of Psychiatrists Sport and Exercise uh, Special Interests Group and I'm dual training in general adult and old age psychiatry and I'm based in Barnet, North London um, I guess my story is, so back in 2015, um, I'd taken some time out of training uh, to play rugby tag for Great Britain, so I spent a few months in Australia. When I came back, I started uh, delving more into some of the research that Lynn has uh, mentioned already. So I was reading more work by the likes of Brendan Stubbs, uh, Joseph Firth and company, and I was really inspired by the work that was going on. And felt there's a real robust evidence base now and I, felt, and I felt as psychiatrists we should be doing more in, in that area. Um, so feeling inspired and from looking at the research I decided to contact Public Health England and they had a um, physical activity uh, clinical champion scheme and I, I, I became the first psychiatrist to be part of that team looking at how we promote physical activity uh, for patients with severe mental illness and it's something that I really enjoyed and um, at the same time, I was very lucky because the college actually set up the SEPSIG, so the Sport and Exercise Special Interest Group. So that allowed me and gave me a channel to um, follow my passion, which was promoting exercise for mental health and also thinking about elite sport mental health provision. So it's a really good um, opportunity for me. Great. So you've obviously done a lot of work in this area. 
would you be able to tell us at the moment what are the guidelines for exercise like what, what are we what is advice that we are doing so according to guidelines public health england talk about 150 minutes a week it's a nice number because when we break that down it's uh, five 30 minute sessions a week and the 150 minutes refers to moderate physical activity so that can just be walking and becoming very slightly out of breath or the alternative is 75 minutes of vigorous activity a week and that tends to be a bit more out of breath uh, more exertion um, but these aren't kind of hard and fast rules you can combine the two so you can have a bit of moderate physical activity uh, along with vigorous um, activity uh, my personal opinion is that we shouldn't get too bogged down with numbers i think um, any physical activity is better than nothing particularly when we think about patients with severe mental illness who are known to be less active so i think being able to promote that in a positive way for them i think is the most important thing and and as well as that of course there's also the expectation that people would do strengthening exercises which i think is also something that we often forget about in in mental health mm. particularly amongst the more elderly people that's right yeah absolutely I know, Amit, you sound like you're quite familiar with the evidence that there is at the moment about exercise and the benefits in people with severe mental illness. Could you maybe just outline what the, the main papers are or what, what the main evidence is at the moment? Uh, sure, yeah. Like I mentioned before, around 2015, when I was getting more interested in this area, a, a landmark paper, in my, in my opinion, was a paper by Philippe Schuch, who is a Brazilian uh, researcher who did a large meta-analysis um, looking at the evidence base for um, moderate aerobic physical activity and how that um, can create an antidepressant effect in, in like, depression. And what the previous limitations have been is that we've had poor sample sizes, high risk of bias, um, different measurements for uh, depression and physical activity. And this was the first paper that factored in publication bias um, and used high quality studies and found that um, there is a large effect size and it is robust and it is significant. So in my opinion, that was a key paper in 2015 for depression. And since then we've had um, other papers by Joseph Firth looking at schizophrenia and looking at positive symptoms and negative symptoms and also looking at cognition in psychosis. And a lot of these papers have found that exercise is helpful you know, in, the, in these um, conditions as well. As you mentioned, there's evidence for an antidepressant effect of exercise. Is there much known about the mechanism of that or, or how that works? Is that known yet? So as psychiatrists, we do work in the biopsychosocial, holistic type of approach. And um, there's a really strong evidence base for the psychosocial element. So thinking about uh, self-mastery, distraction techniques, um, evidence for that is quite robust. In terms of biological um, evidence base, um, there has been a lot of talk of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, endorphins, reduced inflammation. Um, so there, there is some link looking at all three aspects. In terms of definitive biological mechanisms, I'm not aware of anything else apart from that. I don't know whether, Lynn, you, you're aware of anything I else. I think there's a lot of theory, isn't there? People, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. People talk about different brain chemicals being involved, endocannabinoids, um, uh, as well as rush of adrenaline, the rush of this. I think 
bottom line is that we, we can't actually know at that moment what's happening. What we do know is that it has, as you say, an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety effect in that moment. And anyone that um, has engaged in exercise, I think, has experienced that that uh, that high. Mm -hmm. Certainly, the, the get the runners high when you go for a long run. We've mentioned what's the benefits of exercise, and I was just wondering if either of you had any comments about whether there are any risks of advising patients to exercise or whether you need to take any precautions when doing that? Well, obviously, there are always benefits and risks in taking any stance. However, I think we should first point out that in this country, our major problem is obesity and the fact that the average Briton walks less than half a mile a day. And I find that absolutely shocking. So consequently, we've got high rates of, of diabetes, we've got, and that can lead to cardiovascular episodes, early death, etc. Amongst our psychiatric patients, that is even more pronounced. They come, as I've already said, tend to come from poorer socio-economic backgrounds, we add in medication, we tend to make them put on weight and they get slower and slower and do less and less and they die an average 10 or so years younger than the general population. And that is an outrage and that is the thing that we really should be tackling. Obviously, a small percentage of people will get too much into exercise. Um, I've seen that with people with obsessive compulsive disorder who will go out and will exercise and exercise to their health's detriment, running with broken legs, cycling for a hundred miles twice a day to the point of exhaustion. Um, obviously there's always a lot of worries about young women and uh, eating disorders and there is quite a bit of there is quite a bit of work on on women developing what's called a relative energy deficiency related to sport we also have to look at how many people with pre-existing tendency towards eating disorders are attracted to exercise as a way as well so i think what i'm saying is sure we've got to be very aware but actually, this is small beer to be aware of compared to the ticking time bomb that we have amongst the vast majority of patients who do too little exercise, too infrequently, and eat too much food of the wrong type. I think Lynn has summarised that really well. And when I mentioned Public Health England and the work I was doing, that was my major concern in terms of as a society we are becoming more sedentary um, you know our dietary habits etc the only thing that changed my practice was working on an inpatient eating disorder ward where i saw that relationship with exercise was very different um, and that made me reconsider how i approach exercise promotion 
and I still totally agree that we we have to promote it. But I think I use a very balanced approach now because I, I don't want to be Absolutely. triggering people who are prone to exercise mm. addictions. And it's interesting because we did a study very recently on um, exercise addiction, and what we found is if you have an eating disorder, um, you are four times more likely to have an exercise addiction compared to somebody who doesn't have an eating disorder. So I think we do have to be very careful. But I think Lynn's spot on in that it's a very small percentage of society mm. compared to the bigger picture. Um, the only other caution I'd have um, from a psychiatric point of view is patients with bipolar disorder and the risk of mania. Um, because we know that those that engage in vigorous levels of activity or high levels of physical activity in bipolar are at higher risk of having manic symptoms. I think we've just got to be really careful in those two situations, but I think the overall message should be positive regarding physical activity and that concept of everything in moderation, I think, is very appropriate um, mm. when talking about exercise and mental health. Mm. And, and can I say that actually shows the value of having a psychiatrist that can pick up these warning signs and these signals mm. rather than always passing it, which so often happens on to other uh, practitioners that are less attuned to these kind of risks and yeah. worries. Yeah. And then you, you mentioned the, the role of a psychiatrist in promoting mm -hmm. exercise and healthy living. Um, would you be able to say a bit more about that and what you think we would be able to do in our daily practice? Yeah. There were studies uh, actually at St George's looking at people with mental health problems and what prevented them from exercise or what they said prevented them from exercise. What was interesting amongst that, the most popular form of exercise they wanted to engage in was walking. Um, so something that's actually very cheap, very available. Um, and they said what stopped them was that nobody had ever talked to them about increasing their walking. They felt lonely. They, um, they didn't want to do it on their own. They, many people would prefer to do it in a group or to have some form of instruction or somebody to do it with. They also um, had the usual things that they, they didn't have enough time, which is always claimed whenever you do these surveys. Obviously, people with young children sometimes felt guilty and felt that they were taking away from time from their families but as well but those were small numbers the other um, thing main reason which was it's quoted um, was that a few people said well they just weren't well enough but in reality when you get people doing it they often do feel better so um, so that was conducted at St George's what that means is that as mental health uh, practitioners, we should actually be promoting exercise amongst our patients and maybe be good examples of that, good role models to our staff. I think that very often in, um, in mental health institutions, we know across the NHS that about 25% of our, our nurses are obese. If you take people that are also overweight, it will be higher than that. 
um, when there have been studies looking at other factors that stop people exercising, people are, are embarrassed, uh, particularly about their body image. So I think we need to maybe start at home and, and get some of our staff fitter, healthier, embracing that lifestyle and take the patients along with them. Uh, um, whereas if we come breathing and high, um, doctors are less likely to be obese and overweight than maybe poorer paid people, just purely because we have access to much better facilities. So I think we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't be critical of others, but maybe work with them to improve their fitness and encourage this ethos within our trust of healthy living. I would love to see something like the school programme of the Daily Mile in most psychiatric wards that could actually implement it, obviously not in locked wards, etc. But that kind of setup uh, would be fabulous and I think would make a, a real change to our, a lot of our patients. So you think it's important we should be focusing on, on ourselves as well as and our colleagues and our patients, Absolutely. all together. Absolutely. Um, we're all members of society and uh, it's, you know, we don't want to say, do as I say, not as I do. Um, I think we need to be positive role models and hopefully inspire others. Any thoughts on that, Anna? Just to add, um, the BJSM, so the British um, Journal of Sport Medicine um, did a lovely paper a few years ago um, talking about healthcare professionals and their role in promoting physical activity and healthy living. And what they found is that um, healthcare professionals who are more physically active themselves are more likely to pass on that advice. And I think uh, Lynn's absolutely correct in that we have to take personal responsibility ourselves and that way we can validate it towards our patients. Because I think if a practitioner is not implementing these things themselves, I don't think it's it's not a good buy-in for the patient. And I think that's what's really important, that we do focus on ourselves as well. Annette, you also mentioned at the beginning that you are chair-elect for the SEPSIG, which is the Royal College Special Interest Group in Exercise. Sport and Exercise, yeah. Sport and Exercise. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about what the group does or what, what their role is here in promoting exercise? Um, sure. Um, so we were founded in 2016. Um, so that's a pioneering work of Prof Alan Curry who set it up. And it's a mix of psychiatrists who um, not only exercise, I suppose, lifestyle interventions in general, so wish to promote that for our patients, and also um, looking at elite sport mental health. And, um, a good example of how the two can combine is if we're talking about exercise, um, Lynn alluded to REDS before, and we also cover exercise addiction and how often in, for example, let's say endurance athletes, um, if they um, have an injury, um, are forced to retire or deselected, there is a risk of their relationship with exercise changing, and then that can turn into REDS and performance issues. So we as a group kind of cover these these types of um, uh, disorders and both sides of that relationship with exercise. Um, 
us as a um, executive and us as a group are very keen to support uh, particularly junior psychiatrists who are very interested in promoting exercise um, in mental health and we're going to be doing that in the next few years by creating prizes, bursaries, um, presentations uh, to help trainees get more involved in this area. Um, within the last uh, few months um, on a weekly basis I'm getting messages from trainees who wish to get more, more involved in this area so I think it's a real kind of positive for us as a group and we need to be uh, pushing that out as well. I think that's fabulous but and can I also make a plea, and I'm sure you'd second this, that we also need lots of women, because it often tends to be men that get attracted mm -hmm. uh, by the names, particularly sport. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Women are often turned off sport, as we know, at an early age. Um, and yet it's not about sport. There's there are sections, and we've had people that are dancers and all areas of healthy living and we need we need more women in as well do we yeah, not absolutely and i think um a good sign for us is our deputy chair is going to be dr kaz naman yeah. and also we are looking to think how do we mix with the executive a little, a little bit more so we have fairer representation and also the talks that we'll be doing as well so we're going to be more conscious of how we get that balance right great so I think we're coming towards the end of our time in the podcast. I just wonder before we finish if either of you have any final thoughts or comments to make on the, on the topic. I would just say exercise is a great strategy, uh, not only for our mental health, but also for our physical health. Um, I'd say as practitioners, we shouldn't get too obsessive about numbers. Just find something that a patient enjoys doing and support them with that in a motivational way. Absolutely. And I think in these days when money is tight for clever and uh, expensive solutions, actually getting people to put on a pair of shoes and go for a walk with you is a very cheap, but I would say very profoundly effective uh, methodology, uh, having more of an impact than you might think. Well, thank you, both of you, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. For CPD Online subscribers, remember you can log on and complete the online module for this podcast, and then you can get CPD points and download a certificate. Um, so again, thank you to you both. Thank and you. Goodbye. Bye.